Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. It's episode 427. We record this on Fridays at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We also push this live to the WP Tonic Facebook page. So if you're around, please watch it live and comment during the show. And uh, hopefully we will, join the show, be able to reply to your comments. And it's just fun to watch live, really. Um We've got a, a great panel, a powerful panel, and we've got a great special guest. And that's Joe. Joe, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Uh, yeah, my name's Joe Casabona. I'm a developer, course creator, and podcaster uh, in that order chronologically. Uh, I uh, focus mostly on front-end development. I have a few courses on LinkedIn Learning, and I have a podcast called How I Built It. Oh, well, so you're being good company for Morton then. Um, I've got Sally with us. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Uh, let's see. I'm Sally Getch, historical cat owner, um, uh, WP fangirl organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, uh, California, and person of many opinions. Uh, great. And we've got Morton in the house. Morton, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm Morton. I have opinions. Well, there we go. In the right place at the right time. There. No, no, I have uh, opinions. Morton is smart and has opinions. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say about me then, Sally. Uh, um, Adrian, <laughs> Adrian uh, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? And you're muted. Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I'm the CEO and founder of Groundhog. I am a developer uh, producing sales and marketing tools for the WordPress community. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I just, I just don't get this, Adrian. As a developer, you just look too young and fresh and relaxed. You're supposed to look haggard. And oh, this, 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 this is a facade. I had a meltdown yesterday, so <laughs> I'm out of the way. Oh, yeah. what, this is actually his like CGI projection. All oh, right, I'll call it there. That, you know what? There we go. I have like software. My... A, a classics colleague of mine got yeah. a job at ILM a number of, <laughs> of years ago, and I ran into him in the parking lot of like the you know car supply store or something. And I'm like, you mean they let you out? And he said, No, no, this is just a ray traced projection. All oh, right, that's fair enough. And I've got my friend John Locke. John would like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers. Yep, John Locke, uh, Lockdown Design and SEO, SEO for Manufacturers. And before we go into the main stories, um, I like to talk about one of my sponsors, and that's Breezy Page Builder. Um, what is Breezy? Breezy, I personally feel, is one of the most innovative and one of the best UX design WordPress page builders out on the market at the present moment. They've also got some technology where you can store, save templates, layouts in the cloud. Um, the, it's amazing technology. I've been trying it out myself. I've been blown away with it. So if that sounds interesting for yourself or maybe for clients, go over to breezy.com, try out the product, buy the product, and also tell them that you heard about it on the WP Tonic podcast. That'd be great. 
So on to the first story. Number one, <clears throat> WordPress governance projects looks for new leadership. Obviously, Walter, so would you like to give some outline about this story and why yourself and Jerry, you decided to um, leave the membership roles and seek new um, leadership? This was always the plan. <laughs> I mean... If you think about this carefully, you'll see why. So we spun up this WordPress governance project um, and at the beginning appointed ourselves leaders of a project where the entire point is to talk about proper governance. Uh, and the reason why we originally did it was because the project needed someone to set the tone and drive it forward and get it to work properly. But once it does that, once it's functional, once it's doing its work, it's very important that the project elects its own leaders and figures out who, who is actually going to be in charge. And the only way that can happen is for the people who self-appointed as leaders to step back and say, someone else has to do this, right? Um, it's a thing that happens in all responsible grassroots political organizations. Um, it's the thing that is hard to do because stepping away from something you created means that someone else, like it means one of two things. Either someone else takes over and steers the thing in a new direction, invariably, or no one does anything and the whole thing collapses on itself, right? So this is a sort of a test of the veracity of the project itself. It's a test of the community because the community now has to actually embrace it. If they want some sort of governance to happen and want to have an input on how that happens, they have to step up and take ownership of the project. Um, and it's a test of whether or not people are committed to WordPress. From my perspective, if you're not part of the conversation around WordPress governance, you're really not committed to WordPress. You're committed to an old way of doing things that's falling apart. Um, and even if you're a member of the WordPress governance project and your entire mission is to say, this is a waste of time, that's still doing something. Sitting on the sidelines and saying, uh, like someone commented on... Um, Reading them there. Article, if you want to have influence, just contribute. Not only is that ignorant and completely ridiculous, because the people who, the people who are being criticized for not having influence are very influential people who have been involved and have contributed to the project for 10 plus years. So... That's nonsense. But more importantly, it shows a lack of understanding of how decision-making happens in WordPress right now. It's not a matter of influence. It's not a matter of how you commit. Right now, it's a matter on whether or not you are friends with one person and, and you are saying yes to everything that person says. That's not how leadership works. That's how a dictatorship works. And not a BDFL dictatorship, just a dictatorship. So... If you have an opinion about how WordPress governance should work and how WordPress should make decisions, you have two choices. You can either sit back and watch WordPress evolve itself into some form of new leadership that's mandated from the top with no real input from anyone else, or you can take part in the governance project and try to figure out what WordPress governance should look like and elevate the conversation from what we have now, which is shut up and just do what we say, or go do something else to how do we responsibly lead this project forward? That's why. I just got a question about before I throw it out to the other panelists. I, I think, I think 
some of the problem here, Morton, is that I'm not sure if I'm totally correct. I'm sure straight away you will correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Uh, um, well, he owns he owns all the intellectual property of WordPress. He actually no, he doesn't. He owns he controls the trademark. Matt controls the trademark through the WordPress Foundation. The intellectual property of WordPress, the software, is owned by the contributors, which is every single person who's ever contributed to WordPress. The copyright of WordPress is held by the contributors. It's an open source project. So yeah. the only ownership entities are the WordPress trademark, which is held by the WordPress Foundation. The WordPress Foundation is a piece of paper that is held in total control by Matt Mullenweg yeah. um, and the domains. So yeah. basically Matt owns the commons. So if, you, if you've paid attention to the massive controversy around NPM, for instance, uh, so NPM, the node package manager, um, is a completely open source system where anyone can publish any kind of package that you can then use as a dependency in your JavaScript applications. NPM, the website, um, and the comments, so the place that you post content to and then pull it down, is owned by a private entity. And the entire controversy around NPM is the ownership of that entity and the fact that there's a single entity that wants to turn a free commons into a money-making enterprise. Um, so it's the same discussion has just gone a little further yeah. in a different direction. But basically... Matt owns the, tel the trademark through the foundation and he has control over all of the commons. But he yeah. doesn't own WordPress. WordPress yeah. is not something that can be owned. Right, but also through his company Automatic because of the resources from Automatic and how it was formulated, his direct or indirect control is... I'm trying to find the right word in here. Quite. Absolute, absolute, right? Fair enough. So I think that I think I think one one of the problems with what you've tried to do is in not for ideal reasons, but just for practical reasons. Unless you get some movement from him, mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to see where you know, where all this is going to go because fundamentally, you know, unless there was enormous outcry, which in practical terms, I just don't think is going to happen. So it's just, I just don't see how the situation can be changed. So, so here, here's how it'll work. Uh, the like we posted Rachel and I posted an article um, earlier this week about this because there's a lot of misunderstandings around what this is and isn't. So a lot of people think that the governance project is some sort of coup or uprising or whatever, and it's not in any way because that doesn't work. Well, it works, but it's not. It's just extremely harmful to the community, and and it's also an inefficient way of doing things. Um, what the, the governance project does is tries to figure out what governance in a project like WordPress could look like by documenting what governance looks like in other projects, by exploring different governance models and trying to figure out what would work in our community. Now, if the governance project or when the governance project puts out a huge thing and says, this is what WordPress governance should look like, of course, 
that is entirely up to Matt because Matt is the only person who can make that decision. However, that is not the only function of the WordPress governance project because once the governance project says, here are models for governance that are different from what we do now and here are the reasons why these work. It gives the WordPress community the opportunity to actually actively discuss what governance looks like in WordPress in a meaningful way beyond saying, we don't want democratic voting on features, which is currently the only discussion that's happening. The problem we're having right now is that no conversations are happening around governance and governance models at all. Anytime you start a conversation, it just gets shut down immediately. Or you get these extremely vague answers that don't really make any sense. The role of the governance project is to surface those conversations in such a way that we can have a meaningful discourse around how to do this properly. So that when Josepha Hayden puts out a, a, a proposal to create um, a council or an advisory group or whatever, people are informed about what are the different options available here. Not just the one that's presented, but what are other people doing? How are different ways this could work so that they can come in with um, informed opinions and so that they can come in with data-driven models and say, here's how other people do it. Why aren't we doing it like this? Or here's how other people do it. Can we augment it in this way? So you're basically working from the inside of the system, which is the only way you can really make political change by having informed opinions, by not just coming to the table and saying, I hate this, it doesn't work, but actually saying, maybe we should do it differently. Here are my suggestions. It just injects more content into the discussion. Wow. So the, the role is less throw everything out and start over than it is, let's have an informed discussion about this. Right. So Joe, um, what do you think of that? And secondly, why do you think there's such resistance not to have something as an example, I'm not saying it's perfect, like the situation you find in Drupal, which I don't know an enormous amount about, but what my observations are, which hopefully are correct, it is has a board, has a structure, which uh, Moulton is saying might be beneficial for WordPress. Well, in... Uh in baseball, right, or in sports in general, you have teams of players, uh, and those players play the game. Uh, but they don't, they don't really decide the direction the game goes in, right? It's up to, to the commissioner to do that. Um, the players unionize. They have their opinions. They talk to their, their owners. They talk to the commissioner when they can. Um, but the, the commissioner ultimately decides where the direction goes. I think that the WordPress governance project is important, but the fact that it was flagged as unsanctioned, like nearly immediately tells me that the commissioner of WordPress, Matt, uh, is unwilling to be open to other forms of governance. Um, and his, his purse is the one who's paying for a lot of stuff. People conflate automatic and just WordPress in general all the time. And I don't think that it's a mistake. Um, and so I think that we should absolutely still have this discussion. Um, but I think moving the change is, is a long, hard road. And the fact that Morton and, and Rachel are making, making a way for other people to actually step up and take up the mantle gets more voices involved. What do you reckon, John? I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, somebody in the comments said that right now, 
Uh, WordPress governance is basically automatic and some devs from human made and 10 up to make it look not so obvious. I would say that that has kind of been the case uh, for a little while now. I think when the WordPress project started, it was a true open source project. And uh, I think at least for a couple of years, it's, it's really um, been about trying to drive WordPress, the open source project, into being a clone of Squarespace. Um, and the reason being, you know, this, this 34% of the web number that you always hear, most of it is .org, but all the investors that have poured money into Automatic want to see a return. So they have to grow .com to do that they're going to subvert the, the open source project. And that means that any, um, you know, uh, calls to, to having a, a normal governance and leadership like you see in other open source projects are being subverted by Matt. And uh, I think that's pretty clear. Um, you know, there's really not much more to say about it. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, just very clear what it is. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, why people are still contributing to five to the future because I mean, you're basically just giving these VC investors free labor at this point. That's kind of my opinion. Well, what do you reckon, Sally? Um, a couple of things. I mean, looking at, at, uh, what Morton says first about simply, you know, stepping down and that this was always the plan. I have, been involved um, with an organization where the the entire purpose was basically to have it, you know, to have the fellowship govern itself by by means of a, a conference representing as as many people as possible. And it took ten years, more than that, to get from a sort of self appointed board to that point. Um, it, it was an extremely difficult, time-consuming, frequently frustrating process as I had the misfortune to be on that board for a little while. Um, and it just felt like we were always trying to, to reinvent the wheel. So it, it is really hard to get something to a point where it becomes the self-governing entity you, you want it to. And especially, you know, given everything we've already said about how this, uh, it relies on people who are in a position to volunteer their time uh, and that, you know, that that effectively means that a lot of people don't get represented because they're not in a position to volunteer their, their time. Having, having spare time is a fricking privilege. Um, and uh, <clears throat> then in terms of the, uh, you know, the resistance um, from, uh, Matt, which seems you know antithetical to other things he says he believes, I, I suspect that what's happened is that Matt has a vision and he does not want to risk anything interfering with it. Uh, and that you know, yes, some of this is driven by profit motive and investment and so on and so forth because that that always matters. But. Um, you know, highly motivated, talented people can get a little fixated. Um, and, you know, Matt doesn't come off the same way as someone like Gary Vee. But I think there is a, a little bit of that same level of obsession. I want WordPress to go this way, 
And if I hand over the reins of power, it might not go that way. Yeah. What do you reckon, Adrian? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Not, not necessarily that anybody here is saying, you know, that automatic or, or Matt's leadership is totally, uh, you know, unwelcomed. Uh, but like Sally said, you know, when he's, you know, he's got a vision when he started this project, he's like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is going to be our next steps forward. Like Morton, you know, he started a project and self-appointed himself leadership, but unlike Morton, he did not step down because he wanted it to see and go in the direction that he wanted to. And as a developer and as a leader in my business, I can totally understand why someone want to do that. You don't just want to, you know, give up your baby to someone or to a group of people who do not necessarily have your or you, what your interests are in their mind for continuing whatever the path of that product is. He also pays all the bills. So it's like he pays all the bills and he takes all of the risk of, you know, because if a group of people implement a bunch of features or whatever and it totally doesn't go in the way that he wants and it ends up killing the project, unlikely to happen, but, you know, the big what if, then he's still kind of holding on all the risk unless he passes off the bill to everybody else. And you can totally disagree with this or not. This is kind of just funny that you say that because that is absolutely not true in any sense of the term. He doesn't have so. any risk to this. He explicitly says that he holds no responsibility for any of that. How so? Because it's an open source project. That's the tricky part about open source. There is no one at the top. There is no one who sits and actually holds the responsibility for any of it. He holds responsibility for Automatic's product. He does not hold responsibility for WordPress. WordPress, if, like, if you go... Who, who is, what is the buck stops here? They're, the buck stops nowhere in WordPress because WordPress is, hold, the copyright of WordPress is held by the contributors, which is an undefined group of people, right? This is one of the major problems with open source in general that you can't follow the chain to an end point. No one actually holds open source projects. So no one can be held liable for anything that happens on an open source project except for whoever puts money into it. And whoever puts money into it is whoever sponsors thing that keeps the thing going. And that is automatic, but it's also all the other hosting companies, anyone who's ever sponsored a WordCamp and all that stuff. So it's a very complicated legal spectrum, which is why no one has ever tested it in court. Because once you start unraveling that thing, then everything starts unraveling around all of open source. Think about it. No one got sued for Heartbleed. Heartbleed, it can be traced to a single person, right? But Heartbleed isn't owned by anyone. So no one can actually go after that person and say that that person did something wrong because Heartbleed is not an entity that's owned by someone. WordPress and all other open source projects actually fall under that same category of not owned. So he has no responsibility, neither does anyone else. And, hold, and no one can claim responsibility for it, which is a really big challenge. Fair enough. I, yeah. I mean, the fact is that if Matt wanted Apple-like control of his product, then he shouldn't have made it open source. But he wants to be the hero of open source and have that Steve Jobs-like control over the iPhone. Well, he has yeah. automatic. It's a bit of con- right. contradiction, right. really. Yeah. Like I pointed out, is like I agree with you, Joe. There's two sides of him. There seems to be very contradictory elements, and they've always been there um, for, you know, when it was formulated, is it? Yeah. Just, just to be absolutely clear here, and we said this in the post we published this week, WordPress governance does not mean taking power away from Matt. WordPress governance means 
making it clear how decisions are made and making it possible for people to partake in decision-making processes or at least know what they're signing up for when they sign into WordPress. I mean, we've had discussions very recently in WordPress around many different topics that show how governance is necessary. There was a large conversation around conflicts of interest. WordPress has no conflict of interest policy. Just think about that. 34% of the web has no conflict of interest policy. That means any conflict of interest issue is adjudicated based on whoever is involved in that conversation. Now, who's involved in that conversation? That is the community team. Who elects the community team? It's self-appointed. So there is no actual governance structure in place. There's no document you can point to. We don't have a code of conduct for the WordPress project. We don't have a code of uh, ethics for the WordPress project. We don't have a privacy policy or a dispute policy or a conflict of interest policy. We don't have any of the documents that are necessary for this stuff to work properly. The reason why we don't have them is because we don't, we don't have decision-making structures to ratify or enforce any such documents. So as a result, all the decisions that are being made are being made ad hoc by random people who are self-appointed into positions. That's why governance is necessary. It's not to take power away from Matt. It's to say that underneath Matt, there's an entire power structure that currently doesn't exist that makes it impossible for the project to make consistent decisions about anything meaningful, which means everything becomes ad hoc. So it's not about which, the code. Which is why I it's think about there the has community. To be something irrational at, at play in not wanting to do that because it's perfectly possible that you would, you know, go through and audit everything and decide, well, you know, it actually works pretty well. We'd like to keep it basically as it is, but, you know, we need to institute some policies about problems. And, you know, not having policies and things to fall back on and, and you know, having to kind of decide things on an ad hoc basis leads to inconsistency and people complaining. It's, and it's just a lot, of, it's a lot of trouble, yeah. even when everybody is trying to do the best they can. It's not... It's not irrational, it's ideological. That is a very specific ideology that's held by a lot of people in Silicon Valley that you shouldn't have rules, that everything should be self-governed, that if you just let things be self-governed, they will just sort themselves out. The reality isn't like that, but a lot of people in Silicon Valley believe that that's Wait, these people like never read Lord of the Flies or what? It's, that's what happens. Like, this is the same reason why Twitter doesn't have a functionality for reporting fake news right? When people post up things that are blatantly untrue, that you can actually show are untrue, like clearly doctored images, there's no way of reporting them because their belief is that there's no such thing as illegitimate information, right? So they don't give you an option to say this information is literally false, provably, undeniably false information. There's no way of doing that. You, you pushed it too far now to compare back with Twitter. I think no, I'm not comparing. I'm saying that no, there's, but, a, oh, I'm sorry, there's an ideology of letting the systems be self-governed being a good thing that ignores how human beings actually work and ignores the fact that if you don't have rules in place and you don't have structure in place, then every single decision that's made is made in an ad hoc basis, which means the outcome is based on whoever did it before or however long the institutional memory of that particular decision-making process is, which isn't sustainable, especially not in a large organization like WordPress. Right. We're going to go yeah, for Especially not if, if we want to, you know, become half the web or 70% of the web or something like that. Well, there we go. We're going to go for our break. We've got some other stories, uh, um, which hopefully we're going to blast through a bit quicker. But, the, the, but I thought... Um, 
it was really important to give a real airing to this. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's WP Tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a real discussion about who actually runs WordPress. Um, there we go. Oh, on to the next story. CS departments hire ethics TAs and Sally like this story. Sally, what did you think were the main features of this particular story? All right. Well, I noticed it um, uh, initially because uh, Brown is my alma mater. I did not study computer science there. Uh, I was a classicist. Um, But of course, we've had a number of conversations about ethics on this uh, podcast. And um, so that caught my eye. And, And reading it, I was impressed that, you know, what they're trying to do here is incorporate ethics as a concept into everything that the class is is teaching and into you know the way that the students approach creating software that they recognized that you know just offering an ethics class um, isn't going to do it because people are going to sort of be like okay I took the class and I don't have to think about it again and and to to try to make um, people think about you know as it says we want our concentrators which is what they say for people who are how they describe people who are majoring in a subject to think about the ethical and societal implications of what they do, not as an afterthought, but as another fundamental dimension they should consider as they develop their work. Um, so, you know, I don't know uh, how effective this will be or, or what it will, uh, you know, what, what the ultimate outcome will be, but I was uh, pleased to see that they are at least uh, attempting um, to do this. All right. What did you reckon about this one, Joe? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I went to the University of Scranton. Uh, I majored in something tangentially related to computer science. Uh, and I had to take a computer ethics class, right? Uh, University of Scranton is a liberal arts college. We had to take uh, three ethics or philosophy courses over the course of our four years. Um, but, you know, uh, like Sally said, you know, I took it. I forgot about it. The teacher wasn't that great, which I think is, is really an important part of any philosophy class. Um, you can't just say things and then like have them stick. You need to have a spirited discussion about them. So I think this is a, a really interesting experiment at the very least. Um, and it's something that we need to think about. I mean, um, Google, you know, their, uh, their motto has always been don't be evil, uh, <laughs> which is a pretty subjective these days. Um, maybe, the, maybe the new computer scientists, the new people forming big tech companies will uh, actually understand what it means to say don't be evil and they'll they'll realize it's not just a nice PR thing to put out there. That's great. What do you reckon about this, John? Yeah, I, I, I think it's good. I think that uh, it's long past due uh, for computer science courses uh, to also uh, have some sort of ethics courses that are taught uh, alongside that. You know, um, like anything else, uh, you know, there, there should be ethics to uh, 
uh, how you design. I don't know if anybody here is uh, a follower of Mike Montero, but this is something that he's been talking about for several years, uh, ethics in web design, in web development. And, uh, you know, you are responsible for the, the work that you bring into the world. So, you know, it's, it's not all about dark patterns or, you know, just doing stuff because your boss tells you to do it. I think this is a really important thing uh, to learn in any uh, higher education facility like a college or university, you know, including computer science. Right. What about you, Adrian? Uh, having spent most of yesterday uh, battling it out with uh, the plugin vulnerabilities guy. I'm not sure if everybody here is aware. Yeah, I've got your message. He doesn't look at your favorite person. He's on your Christmas list, isn't he? Company is. Uh, I, I think ethic or, or at least a, a doctrine on ethics within the CS and especially the WordPress community would be a, an amazing thing. Uh, and I can send that guy the memo. You want to give a quick outline what, what that what this? Uh, is yes, about. I missed I missed this juicy scandal. Give us a quick outline. Keep it trying. So, so there is a there is a uh, a firm called pluginvulnerabilities.com. My IP address is blocked on their site apparently, so I have to use a VPN. Uh, but essentially, uh, <laughs> uh, what they're doing is they're disclosing they're disclosing uh, zero day vulnerabilities in a variety of WordPress plugins, including my own. Uh, which I had to spend the bulk of yesterday uh, emergency patching. It's all sorted out now, and our repo listing has been relisted and reapproved with all of the required security implications uh, sorted out. Uh, but in in response, it's it, it, actually it kind of ties into our first conversation. A lot of this is in response to the way that governance on the WordPress repository works in terms of disclosing vulnerabilities and plugins. What this company would do or what, what this firm would do in the past would just go to whatever plugin had the vulnerability and just launch a support ticket with an explanation on how to exploit the vulnerability so that the developers could fix it. Obviously, this was, this was you know, a problem if anybody were to go to that plugin and see, hey, I can exploit this plugin in exactly this way before they patch it. Uh, so WordPress repository removed the, the comment or the support ticket or however they decided to launch it on that plugin. Uh, and essentially, this started a, a debate in between this firm and the WordPress repo team. It got heated. Uh, they uh, decided instead to just, uh, they set up an automated system that parses uh, any updates that go into the WordPress repository. I don't know how they do it, but it's actually quite cool in, from a technology standpoint. But it parses for known vulnerabilities. And then they have a team somewhere that looks over all of the updates and whatever, whenever they find a security vulnerability, and sometimes it's in plugins that have 50, 60, even up to 100,000 downloads, and then we'll publish a zero-day vulnerability and how to exploit it. And then there's some guy somewhere who has a, uh, a basically an automated system set up to get the vulnerability from their firm and then go ahead and exploit it on a lot of websites and it causes a huge problem. So currently, that is something that is happening within the community. Fortunately, it doesn't appear that it uh, my vulnerability had time to actually be exploited because we're pretty quick in making sure that stuff gets sorted out rather quickly. Uh, so at least that's fortunately. But that guy needs to take an ethics lesson. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Because part of, part of, it's not just ethics in, in, uh, you would have said the article. The actual to him, code, right? Pardon? You would have said the article to him. <laughs> it's not. It's not just ethics in in um, you know the the actual tools or the software that you produce, but it's ethics in how you 
and in the, the global CS community in general, right? If you if you're deciding to and the global community in general does have an established concept of, of what constitutes responsible disclosure. Exactly, but the, but the, there appears to be no penalty because we know who this person actually is. You can trace his LLC to a trademark to the yeah, name that it's registered you? under. Oh, but there's no penalty for for him what doing you? this. The website remains up, and and there's nothing essentially we can do about it except just try and deal with it. On, on, on an ad hoc basis. I'm not trying to be funny. Do you know who this person is? I don't remember his name specifically, but you can, tra- you can trace his LLC, which is at the bottom, which is White for Design LLC. Uh, you can trace that to, a, to his company website, and then there's a trademark at the bottom, and then you can trace the trademark to the registered name. It's in... Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the information on the top of my head, but the, the name is disclosed, and we do know the guy's name, but it continues to operate in this way anyway. All right, what do you reckon, Moulton? About so about the ethics and CS part, uh, it's high time. I mean, this is uh, the this is the result of about a decade of work by uh, philosophy departments and ethics departments all over the United States and Europe and Asia, uh, pushing for computer sciences and design departments to understand that they're actually dealing with human lives and real outcomes and they have to incorporate this stuff. Um, I talk to a lot of people who work on tech ethics and design ethics and this is, we're finally, it's like you can tell they're finally like, oh my God. (laughs) After all this work, someone is actually listening. And now the big concern is that um, because ethics has become so trendy, Everyone now does conference talks about ethics and writes books about ethics, but the majority of people who do it are people who discovered ethics in the last year. Um, And the people who've been working on it for the past decade or more um, are, because they don't have a large profile in the community, they're often ignored. So there was a large conference um, for interaction designers earlier this year where three people announced that they were writing books about it. And then all three of them were challenged by an ethics professor who was like, what is your background in ethics? And they were all like, well, you know, I realized this was an important topic like six months ago and then I contacted my publisher. And then they're all sitting there going like, you you understand, this is like someone saying, oh, I discovered medicine. I'm now going to start writing books about it. It's like, no, this is an existing practice with like, about 10,000 years of history. <laughs> so it's not a new thing. Please don't make this shit up. Um, on that note, the reason why I wasn't here last week is because I was in um, Los Angeles recording my new course on tech ethics and design ethics oh. from, an, from an academic perspective because I am actually trained in this at university. This is what I did in school. Um, as for plugin vulnerabilities... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a very interesting study in where ethics and law start um, start converging because I'm really surprised no one has sued the shit out of that guy. I, I don't know what's... I, there doesn't seem to be any penalty because the website's still up. The, do, the dot .com is still there. You can still visit it and it's still posting. So The I don't, problem is someone has to actively do the work, right? Someone has to be harmed by, a, by an exposure... Um, or a release it's and happened. then say, yeah, I know, but, and then do the work of actually going to court and saying, I, this is the person who did this, like this vulnerability, if disclosed properly 
would not have been a problem. The reason why no one is doing it is because the way that um, software vulnerabilities is disclosed is so wishy-washy and there is no such thing as a proper policy around how to do it, uh, it goes or back a formalized to, methodology it goes back for to it. story one, really. So if you try to go to court, he will point and say, well, look, WordPress doesn't do this properly and who's responsible for that? So it's basically this endless... Everyone points fingers at everyone and you just end up pouring money into the legal system for a long time. But the reality is at some point, someone is going to get harmed enough by this and that someone is going to be big enough, like a university or a, or a hospital or something enormous is going to happen where heads are going to start rolling. And when that happens, it'll very quickly hammer down to this guy. And it, well, what he's so. doing is colossally responsible, just astronomically responsible. And it started out as this protest against how the WordPress plugin team was doing things. Now it's more like actively malicious. Yes. He's trying to destroy WordPress. And that is just like... <laughs> well, he's absolute prick. And, and the answer, well, like, yes, people <laughs> know who the person is. He must like, be this English guy though. is not unknown. So he it's must be not like we're all sitting there going, I wonder who could possibly be doing this. It's very obvious who's doing this. He must be English, I reckon. There we go. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> on to the next story, Tool Belt, a new Jetpack-inspired plugin with a focus on speed and privacy. What do you reckon about this one, John? Yeah, I think this is a good alternative to Jetpack. Um, you know, though he's not here today, I'll speak for Matt Medeiros. You know, Jetpack is is evil. Google's not evil, but Jetpack is definitely evil. It's the uh, what do you call it? Like the um, the infection vector for WordPress.com uh, making money from .org. That's the only reason. I'll, I'll tell you something. This is this is a little secret too. The only reason why .org is is being allowed to thrive is it's a uh, monetization vector for things like WooCommerce, um, for Jetpack, for, you know, Gutenberg blocks, uh, you know, in the future, all the, all the uh, vault press, you know, all these different things. Uh, so it's very clever, like how they've done it. I think a lot of people have seen it coming for a long time. So anything that's an alternative to that, it has a bunch of, uh, smaller plugins that, that, uh, do things that that most people are are going to need, and it's not uh, spying on you or taking your data or uh, collecting all your information and then selling it uh, through automatic to the highest bidder later on down the road. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, but it's be interesting how Otto treats them, doesn't it? You know, I've got to mention Otto yeah. every episode. Autocratic. You know, yeah, it's funny. I, th I think Auto gets a lot of like favor too. You know, Auto is his name is like automatic, autocratic. So <laughs> yeah, that could be part of. What do you reckon, Joe? What do you reckon? You know, do you think uh, Auto is going to appreciate a plugin that has direct competition with Jetpack to some Well, you know, I mean, WordPress is an open source project. It's okay to. Comp I mean, Jetpack gets most of its features from popular plugins anyway, right? Um, so you show me can't implement it, so it actually works, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think John mentioned this before. You know, like um, about kind of subverting WordPress. Jetpack is the biggest sign of subverting WordPress. They do things to monetize 
the plugin and therefore the .org project. And then when they break the rules, they take a very Professor Umbridge approach from Harry Potter and just say, well, we'll change the rules then. Um, and, and so people are getting increasingly wary of that. Um, Matt Medeiros is probably one of the biggest voices around that, but um, people are getting wary. And I think this is a, a really good thing. And the nice thing about uh, WordPress being open source is it doesn't need to be approved by the repository to get people to use it. So I, I, I think overall, this is a good thing. And maybe it'll put a little fire under Jetpack to say, um, hey, maybe we should maybe we should cool our jets. I didn't mean for that to be a pun. Um, but, you know, maybe we should chill out a little bit. Yes, chill out. What do you reckon, Moulton? What do you reckon, this one? I mean, this was, this is the, what is the oh, sorry, first boulder? The first boulder that starts the crash of all of the bundle plugins. Um, I mean, when, for those with very long memories, when Jetpack was first launched, there was an explicit policy in WordPress that said that you couldn't release plugins that rele that bundle other plugins. And then Jetpack was like, well, this isn't a bundling plugin. There's like many different features, whatever. And everyone was like, well, that's going to result in someone starting to do this. And this is the first example I've seen. It's a responsible example. Um, the, the reason for this uh, bump... <laughs> It's funny because if you've been following him, you'll see he, he's been trying to figure out the name. And he was asking, like, should I call it a bum bag? Because he's from oh Britain. And then everyone was like, uh, <laughs> that sounds really bad. And then a bunch of Americans were like, you should call it a fanny pack. And then all the Brits were laughing their asses off. And then it was like, let's... It was an interesting, like, just seeing how difficult it is to name a product across cultures. <laughs> because, you know... It, language this is, is difficult. why naming is one of the two hard things. Yeah. So uh, the, but the his Ben's purpose for doing this was to create a plugin that focuses on privacy and focuses on like treating data in a responsible way. Um, now, my friend Heather Burns will point out that there's no such thing as a plugin that can give you GDPR compliance, and you have to be very careful about any time you say that something gives you privacy or any type of GDPR support. However, the intent here is good. And I think that this is um, a good example of um, responsible open source contribution. That there is no hidden agenda in this product. This isn't a, I'm going to do this and then I'm eventually going to launch a paid for version of it and start sticking other things inside. This is very much a, I want to improve the community by doing this um, and improve myself in doing so. So all the power to him. Right, I'm going to go to the next story, not because I don't want to hear the other two panelists. I just want to get a couple of stories in and then get our recommendations and round this up because I know you're all busy. Um, so I want to go on the next story. Margaret Artwood fans rejoice that Amazon completely screws up other retailers. What do you reckon of this one, Joe? Well, uh, I, Amazon's not the first person to kind of screw this up, right? Other public or other bookstores have accidentally released things too early and things like that. Um, I, I am the thing I am most curious about is if there will be any recourse against Amazon, um, because you know, as a as an author, you need to be on Amazon. As a publisher, you need to be on Amazon. Amazon made their bones selling books. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Amazon only sold books. Um, so I, that's I, I the thing I'm sure most curious about. To remember, like that there was a Amazon existed. <laughs> I'm I'm just old enough for that. Um, 
but uh, you know, I, I think that's the most interesting part. If, if I was really excited about that particular book, uh, I'd be happy. But uh, in general, the thing I'm most curious about is how Amazon will respond to this or what publishers respond to Amazon doing this. She's an amazing individual, isn't she? To, you know, she's an amazing intellectual and artist. To, to say that she wrote a book that chillingly in some ways you can actually see in some ways becoming reality and how she formulated this whole world. It's just amazing really, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I'm a, my wife and I are huge fans of uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Like people are like, it gets, it's really depressing, uh, but it hooks you because it's an interesting thought experiment at the very least. It was written in, like the book was written in what, 1985? I was I was studying in Rome in 1986-87 and that was one of the few English language books that we had available to us wow. uh, and like so everybody <laughs> like all 30 of us or whatever read this book at that time wow um, yeah so yeah it's I mean it's a it's a at the very least a very interesting thought exercise and in, in Extremism and, and see, I always go, I always try and have a, a, um, the panel. You know, you're new, um, but every um, almost every week, I got to have a story against Amazon, Doctor Evil, I call him, who owns it, and um, I got to have an article. I got to have some way of mentioning Otto and Jetpack. It's become a tradition on the show, Josie. So there we go. So, Moulton, what did you think of this one? The embargo part. I mean, if anyone else broken embargo like that, they would not be on the top list of the publisher. But this is the problem of giant monopolies. They can do whatever the fuck they want. So this will just result in everyone going, oh no, how terrible. Well, whatever. And then the next time it happens, they'll be like, oh no. And then eventually Amazon will be like, publish your book here and we'll give you a special deal on our embargo breaking service and it'll become a thing. Like, it's it's unfortunate, but I'm just imagining if some other retailer had done this, the enormous implications that would have for that retailer and how this will have zero impact on Amazon. Which was pretty clear. It does nothing it's like, to Amazon. Yeah, you, could, you could penalize somebody smaller for doing that, the, the, but the, the publisher has no recourse. And, the, and yeah. the little blurb at the end about, you know, Amazon saying, oh, it was a mistake. I, it just reminded me of all those sales letters that have the headline, you know, oh, oops, I messed up. Well, I, to be fair, I am certain this is a mistake. I mean, this is, you know, an input error somewhere. Someone punched the wrong number and then accidentally something happened and just scale and everything turned that into a big problem. Um, but it's, I mean, when, when I published books, um, it was really interesting because I would be paid some some pittance, right? Some like 1% of profits or whatever. <laughs> Ridiculously little amount of money per book. Okay, no, uh, but if I was paid a dollar for a normal book sale, I was paid 70 cents for an Amazon sale. Unless Amazon had a deal, in which case I could be paid as little as 25 cents for the same book, right? And I was talking to my publisher and saying, why are we using Amazon? Because like the majority of sales are through Amazon. And they were like, we'd have no choice. If you are not on Amazon, you're dead. And Amazon is squeezing um, the publishers. Now, this was before the big, um, the big uh, uh, group. What do you call it? 
the right. yes, class the action suit. To become the big fight. The yeah, fight. so there was a huge class action suit where pretty much every single person who ever published a book in the United States became part of a class action suit against Amazon for price rigging. And Amazon lost because they were screwing people over big time. Um, and it's gotten better since then. Um, but Amazon has too much power and is way too convenient. I mean, I use Amazon a lot because it's just very convenient to get things delivered. And they also have products that I can't get anywhere else in a store. And the result is like Best Buy is closing all its shops because they've become a show house, showroom for Amazon. Like People go on to Best Buy and look at things and then they look at the price on Amazon and buy it from Amazon in store. Right. right. And then Best Buy says, we'll match their price and then they lose money. And so either way, they're going out of business. And then you have like the bookstores who now sell pillows and blankets and socks and electronics and like God knows what. And then you go in and ask for a book and they go, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't have that. We, we can order it in from Winnipeg or something. <laughs> it's weird. Like Amazon is getting too big. The good news is eventually Jeff will move to Mars and then Amazon will just disappear. It'll be, you know. Well, when you're Dr. Evil, you know, you have these ambitions. He is a classical Bond villain, but I've said that before on repeat. So on to the next one. Sorry, I'm just trying to get this last one. And then um, um, working for web dev studios after self-employment. Um, what did you think of this one, Adrian? Oh boy, here I am uh, doing. I, I've been I've been missed over so much that I <laughs> I was totally telling something else. Okay, so uh, we're on Pagely, or we? Uh, we're, yeah, we're on. We're on Tom McFarlane and um, yeah, Tom McFarlane. You know, get, getting a day job after you've been self-employed for a billion. Ah, uh, as as uh, as someone who went from day job to self-employed, uh, I much prefer the la- the the latter. Uh, going into a day job is not something that I've actually done yet, so I don't have exactly much experience to say on the matter. So is it okay if I just skip this one? Yeah, because I thought I'd just wake you up. I apologize, but obviously we were running out of time. So, John. No worries. It's all good. Did this, um, did this kind of spark any thoughts in you, John? Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, you see people who have traditionally been self-employed, uh, not only in the WordPress space, but in the in the bigger web design and, and web development space. And beyond. And beyond, but you, you'll see, uh, you know, occasionally people go to work uh, for a company and, and sometimes there's reasons for that. Now, uh, sometimes, you know, it's just a, a technical challenge, which I, I think uh, Tom McFarland expressed that that was the reason. Uh, sometimes... You know, business is slow, and or or you see it potentially getting slow, and it's a preemptive strike. Uh, sometimes people do it for health insurance, uh, which is a good choice. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people go yeah. uh, to work for different places, and and uh, or it could be a combination of all three, couldn't it, John? Yeah, it could be a combination of all three. You know what? Um, but you know everybody's choices are right for them. That that's how I feel. You know it's it's often more complicated than it looks on the surface. But you know, hey, good for Tom. Uh, Web Dev Studios, I'm sure is is getting a lot from his experience, and I'm sure that they'll add that to their institutional knowledge. So good for them. So what did you reckon of this one, Joe? I think I think Tom outlines one of the classic reasons why you change jobs, right? Uh, which is to level up your skills. You either leave because you hate, I mean, not either, but I don't want to speak absolutely here. But the big reasons are, you know, you uh, you don't like the position you're in for some reason or you want to level up your skills or you're ready for some other complete change. Um, 
you know, the reason that I went from self-employed to the University of Scranton was health insurance, as John cited. Uh, and then when I went from the University of Scranton to Crowd Favorite, it was to level up my skills. Um, and then when I left Crowd Favorite, my life situation had changed and I wanted to put a bigger focus on family and the agency life doesn't uh, adhere to that very well. So um, I, I love that Tom's doing this. I, he's one of the smartest guys I know. I think he's fantastic. Um, and I'm glad that he's enjoying his time at WebDev so far. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great developer, isn't he? You know, when I was actively developing, I used to religiously read his articles. And he has been on my show a long while ago, and I really enjoyed the interview. And I've always thought he was one of those um, you know, really genuine, really thoughtful developer personalities. A bit like Pippin, really, Joe. Uh, um, somebody... Well, I'm going to cut the last story and I'm going to go into the recommendations of the week. And mine again, folks, is a book. I can't always be finding software. And this book, I've had um, thoughts about the economy in America and the UK for a long time, but I thought I kept them to myself because I wasn't sure if they... It was just a feeling I had. And then I read this book, The Myths of Capitalism, by Jonathan... Well, of course, he's a Jonathan, so he would be, you know, truly bright, um, by Jonathan Tapper. Um, and Jonathan's a really interesting dude. I love to interview him, actually. And um, he wrote this book, and I, I read it, and I... And I've read it twice, and I literally agree with every page of his synopsis. And I've also given a link to a YouTube interview that gives you a real insight of what the book is about, and you can watch that. And I've given a, another link to his homepage so you can find out more about him. So, Sally, um, got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Uh, yes, actually. Um, uh, and put, and put it... Panelists, put everything into chat if you can. Right. So I uh, uh, just uh, came across this, and I think an e email newsletter uh, recently. But uh, Yoast has uh, created the Yoast Care Fund, and uh, what they're doing is setting aside um, twenty five thousand dollars a year to offer in uh, five hundred dollar uh, kind of gifts to people who are nominated for their. Um, volunteer contributions to the WordPress community. And it, what it says is, you know, we've, we've noticed there are some people out there who feel a little underappreciated. Um, and I think it's, you know, I mean, in most places, $500 is not going to like make a material, a really big material difference. Um, I mean, there are certainly parts of the world where, you know, pay your rent for a couple of months and, and really help support you, you know, doing some, some contributing and in, in you know, in California, it's like, that's a nice, um, you know, gesture. Um, it, it's, it's not really uh, going to, you know, it's, it's not going to take care of the issue that has been raised, you know, by, by several people that, you know, they would, they would love to be able to contribute more and they can't afford to do it. Um, uh, but I do think that if you know somebody who has been doing, you know, great stuff uh, in the WordPress community, you should go over there and nominate them. Well, I know a certain Norwegian that really contributes a lot, you know, but there, but there we go. Ah, he's good. <laughs> no, he's shaking his head. He's no, always. don't, don't. Put it, give it to someone else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, only, I was trying to be nice, Morton. I appreciate it. 
Things like this are for people who are not already have a large profile. No, that's true. So, Moulton, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? I do. A company called KiwiCo um, has a product line uh, that is basically, you know, those uh, boxes, you get a box sent every month with like gasoline or, <laughs> I don't know, cigars or, you know, some garbage that you don't need. Well, KiwiCo has um, crates for kids um, that are... Uh, toys that they have to build themselves. And they have kits all the way from years, you are zero years old, all the way up to uh, 14 and above. No, nine to 16. Uh, so they're, they have interesting names like Koala Crate and Kiwi Crate and Atlas Crate and Doodle Crate and Tinker Crate. So the idea is um, they are, you get a monthly kit that has a theme and then you can build whatever's in it. And there are several different exercises. The reason why I bring it up is because my parents got this for my son, who's three years old. And it's amazing. Like, it's so well built. The, the, so the kit he got last month was about uh, the rainbow. So there were all these different exercises you could do. So he made like a cloud with a rainbow on it. And then this, this month, it's about musical instruments. So he built a xylophone and he built a tambourine. And it's just really cool. So if you know someone who has children and you want to give them a gift that keeps on giving for a whole year and you have a little bit of money, this kit, these kits from Kiwiko are fantastic. Now, be honest here, Morton. Have you been playing it before the kid, your own kid can get hold of it? No, because he has to build it. But it's like, they've, they've made, he's three years old. His dexterity is, you know, at a three-year-old's level. And the kit is exactly at the right level. It's like just hard enough that it's hard, but not hard enough that it's impossible, right? So it gives them a sense of accomplishment. So whoever did this really thought it through. Oh, it sounds just right for me, really. But there we go. They have a kit uh, for 14 to 104. So you can totally do it. You're trying to be sarcastic. Are you trying to make out about... No, I'm serious. There's a kit from no, 1,204. No, have you ever lived in England, Morton? No, I come from Norway. We are stoic. We don't have sarcasm. <laughs> you're not used to... You're not just not used to... The, 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 the Our sarcasm is at a different level, my friend. <laughs> right, yes, I know. Uh, Adrian, you got anything you want to recommend to this as a viewers? Yeah, if uh, so, if you have a business-facing website uh, and you have some traffic, and uh, we're a lot more security-conscious about who we want to give our email to, who we want to give our information to, uh, so you can use. And I'm going to put this in heavy, heavy, heavy quotation marks. Um, uh, other plugins where people already have their information, for example, Facebook, and that's why I'm going to put that in super heavy question marks. Uh, but you can use something like the Facebook customer chat on your website. It already has their, uh, their logged in via Facebook. So if they have the Facebook tracking cookie, then they'll be able to just log in with their name and information already there. So if they want to talk to you and you can have a personal conversation, you don't want to know who you're talking to, uh, then that's a really easy way to get a chat plugin for absolutely free on your website in the event that you don't have that. Uh, when we put that on our website, we saw communication with customers go through the roof. People can ask questions easier. They can launch support queries easier. They can request pricing easier. And you can just help people direct them so that they get to the relevant areas of your site. And you can check it on your phone, all that stuff. So uh, if you have a Facebook page, it's a totally free service. You just have to go to the messaging settings in your uh, Facebook page. And there's a, just a little quick 
uh, thing, go grab the code. You don't even need to use a plugin for this. You can just put it in your theme file somewhere. And I just find that that's what we use. It, you don't really need to connect it to anything. It's just super like three steps and you're, and you're done. So go install. If you have a Facebook page, the Facebook customer chat plugin, unless you already have another chat plugin at the moment. But we find that it's just been really useful for, for connecting with our customers. Oh, thanks for that. Do you need someone there like 24-7 to respond to the chats? How does, how does that part know, of so it work? You, so you can set, uh, so it's actually quite advanced now. Uh, you can set time. So you can also set an automated response message. So if you're gone in between the hours of like, 12 p.m. or uh, sorry, 8 p.m. and 8 a.m., then you can set an automated message that says, hey, we're not around right now, but you can go here in order to lodge like a like a ticket or the contact page or wherever they want to go. And then you can also have an automated message for when you are logged in and when you are active on the uh, chat plugin to say, hey, listen, you know, we're around and we're going to get back to you right away. Just hang tight. Stuff like that. Uh, so you can set those 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 hours in the in right within Facebook, so on your Facebook page in those settings as well. You can also there's also multiple Facebook chat plugins that you can install, although you don't necessarily need them. And sometimes they require you to go and log in through their process, like the many chat one and stuff. So I don't necessarily recommend that route. But just installing the Facebook chat code on your website, super um, uh, super customizable, super usable, and super easy. Oh, thanks, Matt. Fantastic, John. Have you got something you want to recommend to this as viewers? Yeah, and I uh, I put a link to it in chat, but it's a uh, it's a uh, generator for FAQ page schema, and it'll output it in JSON. So really easy. You just type in your question, type in your answer. It'll generate uh, JSON code that you can put somewhere in uh, your page or your theme. Uh, if you want to have a FAQ page, I've checked it out. It validates in uh, Google's structured data testing tools. So really simple way to do it. Oh, sounds fantastic. Yep. Joe, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Yes. So I just took a uh, five-hour each-way car trip. So I found a good audio book, and that audio book was Bad Blood by John Kerry Rue. Uh, it's about the... Silicon Valley tech startup Theranos, founded by uh, Elizabeth Holmes. And for some crazy reason, I had never heard of them before I read this book. But uh, given our earlier conversation about governance and making decisions in a vacuum, and um, I felt like this was an appropriate choice. It reads like fiction, and it made 10 hours in the car by myself. Uh, very bearable. It was a very well-written book, I think. Yeah, it's a great book, actually. I've listened to it myself, and we men- we have mentioned it on the show before, Joe, a great selection. So, Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. You can find my business at WPFangirl.com, and you can find the East Bay WordPress meetup at EastBayWP.com or on meetup.com. Uh, Moulton, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn Learning and on LinkedIn and in my house where I am recording LinkedIn Learning. Oh, no, I'm at Pressnomics next week talking oh. about the ethics of open source if you want to come to that. Apparently, it's going to be freaking hot. Not um, the talk. Dude, the weather. It's, in, it's in Phoenix, right? It's in a desert, apparently, right? or something. So, yeah. Oh, I'm going to bring my SPF 1 hot. million. Yes. Sounds lovely. Uh, um, oh, God, Adrian, how can people find out more about you? Uh, so you, 
You can go to uh, groundhog.io with two Gs to get our free plugin that allows you to send email and create customer journeys right in your WordPress website. Uh, it's super cool, super free, and uh, super customizable. So go in ahead and check that out. You can also find us at Groundhog WP on both Facebook and Twitter if you have any questions. And John, how can people find out more about you, about you and what you're up to? Two places. You can go to my website, which is lockdownseo.com. Also, you can go uh, on YouTube, just search hashtag LockdownSEO. I'm publishing uh, videos on SEO daily. He so, does it every day. Daily. daily. He does it every day. He's been doing it. Wow. Month. And it's great I, I'm stuff. I'm sorry. I couldn't watch a daily video. Never mind produce one. <laughs> no, it's great stuff. It's great tips. Go yeah. there, folks. You love it. Can uh, I just say, yeah. Tool has a new album out after 12 years. Yeah. Uh, you should, uh, you should, uh, if nothing else, listen to it, and uh, you can do so by using Sony's new Walkman, because that makes sense. Which apparently retails for between four and five hundred English pounds, which, based on Brexit, is valued at somewhere between eight dollars and two thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just giving him a gesture, folks. You have to watch the video. Uh, um, it's true that Britain's gone more bonkers than America. There we go. Um, Joe, Joe, um, how can people get hold of you and find out more about what you're up to? You can uh, find basically everything I do over at casabona.org. And I am Jay Casabona on most social networks, most actively Twitter. Uh, but probably in more Instagram soon. Twitter makes me sad a lot lately. Oh, it does, doesn't it? But you've done a great coming on as a guest panelist. Really. Um, folks, folks, if you would like to come on the show and join the panel, especially if you're a lady and do you part the WordPress community, you're most welcome to join us. All you have to do is um, go to the WP Tonic website, fill in the contact us page, and we'll probably have a chat on Zoom. And then you could join the panel and um, be a member of the discussion. We'd love for you to come on the show with us. And um, we'll be back next week with another great panel, another great stories, and a great discussion, which you probably won't hear on any other podcasts around WordPress, hopefully. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.